Good morning, First Baptist. Unlike first service, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss the kids, which is unusually awkward given the topic for today. Kids, you can go to Children's Church. Glad you are here this morning. Uh, I'm going to start with Shark Week. How many people like Shark Week on TV? I got some Shark Week people there. You like the Shark Week? Shark Week's awesome, isn't it? I think sharks are fascinating, right? Um, but I'm terrified of sharks. Who else is terrified of sharks here? Absolutely. Yes. Good. Good. How many people here would swim with sharks? You can do. Oh, there's a. Is there a few of you? Wow. Great. I'll pray for you. That's awesome. Um, but sharks are terrifying to me. And uh, this morning, I want to. I want to say to you that this topic can be terrifying for people this morning. And. We're going to talk about sex is sacred. And uh, so I thought I would start with Sharky the Shark. Oh, downhill Sharky, there you go. Sharky, Sharky, Sharky. Sharky, there you go. Sharky. Sharky is struggling. Sharky's had a rough day. Oh, there you go, Sharky. Get that fin going. Come on, buddy. There you go. I like the Jaws theme, but I was thinking there was another song that's more appropriate. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark, do 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 do. Baby shark. Sharky only goes to the left for some reason. I'm not sure why. Sharky's hard to control. Sharky actually, Sharky has had a rough journey. Uh, he he actually took on a couple of uh of uh holes there, and we had to patch him with scotch tape. There we go. Let's get him out there. I, I bought Sharky because I saw this on Amazon, and you can have anything at Amazon in two days. Do you know that? And so I, I made, I got Sharky here, and Sharky, Sharky looks sad right now. Sharky worked far better in the second, in the first service. So here, somebody want to come rescue Sharky for me? Thanks, Andrew. Come get Sharky. Um, some people are terrified about this topic in church. Sex is sacred is the topic this morning, and. Uh, and I, this is a PG-13 message. I am going to talk frankly about this, and I don't want you to be afraid of that. And if you are afraid of that, let me tell you about our excellent coffee bar out there, okay? Uh, the lobby is comfortable. You're going to love it. Go ahead and enjoy that this morning. But um, it, it's interesting to me because there's a show during Shark Week that is called The Island of the Mega Shark. And they're talking about great white sharks, which Sharky is a great white shark. Um, and the interesting thing was, is while I was watching this, there's the guy would come on and he's narrating it and he would say this. He said, you can tell just from a shark swimming by if it's a great white, whether it's a sexually mature female or not. And I thought, well, that's interesting. How in the world do you know that? And, and the narrator then says, these are sexually mature females. I said, well, that's weird. How does he know that just by looking at the shark as it, as it swims by? And he basically says this. You can tell female great white sharks are sexually mature because of their scars. And this is the exact thing the narrator says after that. You can see that their sides and their gills are a battleground of scars. Now, that got my attention, and I started to think, well, this is interesting, and this may be a little bit graphic, sharky sex, but this is what happens in shark sex, because they're floating out in the middle of the ocean. Male sharks need some way to hold on, and they end up scarring the sides of these female sharks. 
Now, here's the interesting thing about that. God, even with sharks in his grace, shows up for sharks. The female shark has skin that is twice as thick as male shark skin. So even in, even in that scenario, God is gracious to give these, these female sharks the ability to deal with all that. But the thing is, and the narrator said, scars mean sex. Man, that hit me. I don't know about you, but that hit me. Scars mean sex. Now, I got to be honest with you, I am terrified. Nobody's more terrified of this message than me. Like, I got to stand up here and tell you all about this stuff. By the way, I don't make the preaching schedule. That's Glenn. I didn't assign this week. That was Glenn. If you're unhappy, I think it's Glenn's lack of leadership, if you know what I mean. So, um, <laughs> he knows I'm messing with him because I've, I've earned it this week. Uh, Honestly, sex means scars, and I am terrified to preach this message, and I'll tell you why. I know every person that walks into this room today probably has some scars. So many of us live with sexual scars, and, uh, and it is so hard to preach because I know people walked in here this morning that were molested, and your sexual innocence was taken from you. I know there are people here probably who are listening to my voice or, or hearing this and you are forced into sex, maybe physically, but a lot of you were, were twisted, manipulated emotionally into sex. Some of you have been betrayed in your sexual relationship. Somebody took that and they betrayed it. And, and there's some of you who have images and memories from your own sexual past that are like scars on your soul. And I get that. Some of you are chained to pornography. And scars mean sex. Now, I want to start with saying this. Listen, I have scars. And so many of you have scars. And there is nothing I can do about the scars in my life in the past or in your life in the past. I can't do anything about what's already happened. And I didn't come here today to, to guilt and shame you and to rub your nose in the carpet over whatever's happened in your past. I, I, I don't have any agenda to do that today. What I do want to do, do is I want to preach to future you. If future you could hear this sermon and could frame things around what God says about sex, that you might get a chance to heal. And from this day forward, you could approach sex in a different way and, and, and approach it better. Listen, the church historically is terrible at this. We have been terrible at talking about sex. I don't know how to say that. I'm going to fumble through this today, too. I'm not going to word everything perfectly. But honestly, many times, people from church, when they are growing up, all they heard is, sex is bad. Sexual sin, don't, 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 don't. That's what they've heard again and again and again. And all you get is guilt and shame if you do, if you have done something that you're ashamed of. And then suddenly when you get married, all of a sudden we give you the, the old wink, wink, nod, nod, like, hey, 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 you know, it's okay, and, and go for it. And then we don't talk about sex ever again. We just don't talk about it. And so I want to make sure that we understand that because so many people make it to their marriage beds and you've already got scars that you have to deal with. And for some of you, it's so much deeper than others. But I want to tell you, I want to convince you that God loves you and he wants healing for your life. So let's jump into it this morning because we're going to see, if you've got notes, grab them and follow along if you want. Uh, at the very beginning, we see that sex is a gift. Sex, God intended sex as a gift. Listen to what it says here. It says... So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. 
And while the man slept, the Lord God took out of one of the man's ribs uh, and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. What did the man say? Oh, say it like you mean it, people. If you were a man and this was your first gift, you would have said, at last, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone, of my bo- bone from my bone, and she is flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the what? Two are united into one. Okay, so the very first gift that God gives man is, well, actually, it's a nap. I don't know if you noticed that. He, 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 lets, he lets the man go to sleep. How many people enjoy a good nap? Absolutely. Do not underestimate the gift of a good nap. If your spouse is giving you uh, trouble about you napping, this is what you do. You turn to her and you say, this is a gift from God, woman. Okay, that's what you say, all right? It's a gift from God. But the second gift that God gave Adam is this sexual relationship. He gives her Eve. And, 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 and Adam is like, hey, girl, what's up? Like, how you doing? And, and, and uh, I mean, can you imagine this as the first gift that he gave him? And, and Adam liked what he saw. He liked what he saw, and he wrote a poem about it. And this is the poem. He said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Is it getting hot in here? Is anybody else? It, it feels warm in here. Is there somebody that can do something about that? Right there in Genesis chapter 2, we see this picture of the marriage bed, right? We see this picture of the marriage bed. Now, I want you to get this. God created sex. Amen? God created sex. God's not angry. God created it. When he created it, he said, hey, let's make this fun. He said, this will be good. This, you guys are so nervous, I can tell, right? Like, let's make this fun. Let's make this enjoyable. Sex fires chemicals in your brain and then the brain says, whoa, 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 what was that? I like that. I think I, I like that. And God's like, that was me. I did that. I made that. Like, that's, that's how God did that. And so I want you to see this first principle. Ready? God wants you to have amazing sex. Some of you won't even fill in the blank. It's too awkward. I know. But God wants you to have amazing sex. And I want to tell you something. Our culture, this is funny to me, our culture has been giving out the message that sex within marriage is lame. That's what the message our culture is sending. Sex within marriage is lame. There was an article in Time magazine a while back. Time did a a whole issue on marriage. And so there was this cover story on marriage. And the whole magazine had all these little mini articles about marriage. And this is what that main article began like. This is what it said. There's a reason fairy tales always end in marriage. You ever think about that? Like most fairy tales end and then they get married and what? Happily ever after. Or, or if there's a, uh, a romantic comedy, it's like it all leads up, leads up, and then they get married and then we don't know what happens next, right? That's kind of the way it goes. And then they explained it in the article like this. It's because nobody wants to see what comes after. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through comic misunderstandings, these are stories worth telling. Even overcoming disapproval from family to get to the altar, but plodding on year after year with that same old soul, Yonsville. That's what it says. And here's the lie. The lie is, is that marriage is lame. That's, that's the lie. And that there's no fun after that initial kind of spark in chemistry. And then after that, it's just the ball and chain and the same old year after year after year. Same old, same old. Right? 
I don't know about you. Listen, one of the biggest surprises to me for marriage, honestly, I went into marriage not expecting. It, is, it has been incredibly fun to be married. I, I, if, if you're not experiencing fun and joy in your marriage, I'm very sad for you, but it has been so fun. I have been married for 26 years, and I want to tell you, marriage is amazing. It is better every year. I just, I can't imagine doing life without my wife. Um, marriage is fun, and really, the truth of the matter is, is marriage is what you want it to be. Um, some of you think, if you think it's going to be the ball and chain and the same old, same old, it, it might be. If you think there's going to be no passion and no spark left... Well, that's your choice. I would advise against it. Like, that's not what you want. Um, but I looked at, I've looked at it, this is the way I look at it. I get to spend the night with my best friend every night. I, I get to, I, one of the best things about getting married, there was all the sexual tension, but it was not having to go home at night. I could stay and enjoy the night and, and then wake up in the morning next to her and, and there's all that stuff and I get to spend it with my best friend every day. We laugh together, we dream together, we cry together, we've suffered together, we, we have built things together. By the way, we fight when we build things together, but uh, we, we built the, yeah, everybody's like, I know, I know, yeah. Uh, we explore new places, we've seen all kinds of new things together and it's been awesome now get this in that same article in time magazine it went on to admit this later studies do suggest almost like it's a concession studies do suggest get this from that article that married people will have better sex better health and wealth will probably die happier with a lower likelihood of strokes heart disease and depression and married people are also better uh, respond better to stress and heal more quickly what? Like, like, why is that buried in the article and the lead is Yonsville, right? And, and then if you get into the article, you realize, hold on a second. Like, marriage is, is it's, it's not a drag. It's not terrible. If you're going to end up being richer and happier and healthier, that's not the lead. The lead is you don't want any of that. It's Yonsville. Get this. Women are twice as likely to reach orgasm in a committed relationship like marriage than in a casual encounter. And I saw some of you are right now are thinking, did he just say the word orgasm in church? <laughs> I did, I did. Listen, God wants you to have amazing sex. In fact, he wrote a book about it. Do you know that? He wrote a book about it, inspired a book about it. It's in your Bible. If you don't like what I'm about to read, you can talk to the author, God himself. Here we go. <laughs> it says this in Song of Songs, uh, chapter 7. Oh, how beautiful you are. How pleasing, my love. How full of delight. You are slender like a palm tree. And your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. Wow. I said, I will climb the palm tree and take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like grape clusters. And the fragrance of your breath like apples. May your kisses be as exciting as the best wine flowing gently over lips and teeth. It is so hot in here. Am I the only one? Does it feel hot in here to you? Holy cow. Can't we do something about that? Listen to what the next verse says. It says this. I am my lover's and he claims me as his own. Here's the translation for that. Oh, it's on. It is on. That's what he's saying here. God wants you to have amazing sex. It's a gift from God. And then I want you to see that sex is sticky. If you think this is awkward now, we haven't even gotten started. So 
It is. It's sticky. You're going to see what I mean by that in just a second here. Mark chapter 10, this is the Gospels, and he's really reinforcing what it says in Genesis chapter 2. It says this, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is what? Joined to his wife. And the two are what? United into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let what? No one split apart what God has joined together. Get this. Sex joins people together. It joins people together. In Genesis chapter 2, it says the two are united into one. It's reaffirmed here in Mark chapter 10. And there is a neurological bonding that happens during the process of sex. It's super interesting. There are these neural pathways that are formed in the process of the physical act. When you orgasm, did I just say orgasm for a second time? This is, somebody check Glenn's pulse. Is he alive? When you orgasm, you release these incredible chemicals into your brain. And, and, and those chemicals create these neural pathways and they're formed. And you are neurologically bonding together, those two people. You're, you're being bonded together. Now, I don't want to make this weird for you because being stuck together is not a problem. That's really not a problem. It's not bad. You just got to be sure that who you're stuck to is somebody worthy of being stuck to in the context of a committed marriage relationship. Then get stuck together. Listen, in the words of the immortal poet Huey Lewis, it's, I am happy to be stuck with you. Yes, it's true. I am happy to be stuck. Thank you so much over there. I appreciate that. It's okay to be stuck together. The problem isn't being stuck together. Here's the problem. The problem isn't having a sex drive. That's not a problem. God gave that to you. The problem is letting your sex drive you in the places you shouldn't go. Or you were never intended to be bond together. See, God, there's a righteous fulfillment for this sex drive that God has given you. And he gave it to us in this good and pleasing place in the bonds of a committed marriage. The problem is this. And here's the problem since the beginning. What God has joined together, Satan is trying to pull apart. What God has joined together, Satan is trying to pull apart. Listen, since the garden, since the garden, Satan has been using guilt and shame to pull apart those God-honoring sexual bonds. In the garden, there was no guilt and no shame. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2. The next verse says this. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they what? They felt no shame. They were naked in front of each other, but they felt no shame. The very next verse, the very next words is this. The serpent. Enter Satan. Enter our, 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 our spiritual enemy, the evil one. And he says, listen to what it says. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals of the Lord God had made. And then we see this story, right? And you probably know the story from Genesis. The serpent asked Eve, hey, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? And and, and she said, yes. And he says, ah, it's not true. If you eat from the tree, you're just going to be like God. That's how it'll work. And then they ate. I mean, she ate and she gave it to Adam and he ate. And then listen to what happened next. A few verses later in Genesis chapter 3, it says, at that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly what? They felt shame. For the first time, they felt shame. At their what? 
at their nakedness. They were, felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Did they feel guilt and shame for their actions? Doesn't say that. We don't, we don't see that. Like they, We know their actions were wrong. They knew their actions were wrong. But instead, what they felt shame over was their nakedness. They, somehow, Satan had turned their sexuality against them. And let me be honest with you. Satan's easiest target for us is our sexuality. That's the easiest way for Satan to make us feel guilt and shame and, and, to, and to do that to us. And the, the truth of the matter is that today, instead of these God-honoring, committed relationships that God wants us to see sex in, um, we increasingly as a society have traded that for casual sex. And so often people leave that casual sex relationship They are unsatisfied. They are filled with guilt and shame that they just sort of shove down and keep going and eventually they get numb to it. Instead of a marriage, they say, hey, let's just be, let's let's be friends with benefits, right? I mean, I'm not doing anything tonight. You're not doing anything tonight. Why don't I just come over and we'll, uh, we'll just Netflix and chill. We'll just, we'll just do that. No commitment, no biggie, just casual sex. Listen, The 800-pound gorilla in our society right now about this is an app on our phones called Tinder. Now, if you don't know what this app is, listen, I know more and more people are meeting on dating apps and they're, they're connecting that way and I understand that. I'm not freaked out about that. But this particular app has sold itself. It's really gained its reputation as a place for casual sex hookups. So you, you turn on this app and, and you look at uh, pictures and basically you, in a matter of seconds you're looking at pictures and you're swiping right or swiping left and you're asking this question, is he hot or is, she, or is he not? Is she hot or is she not? And I swipe based on if I think we can hook up and if there's a match then boom, you know, seven, I win <laughs> and we get together and that's what happens. They, they have sold this as this is the way to get casual sex. Get this, Tinder has made sex as easy as it is to get a car with Uber or to get a meal with DoorDash. And we are reaping the pain and the heartache of that. Because what you don't understand is every time you join together physically with somebody, you are sticking together and then you are ripping apart. You're sticking together and then you are ripping apart. And it does damage every single time. Let me explain to you this way. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You had a relationship and it turned sexual. Maybe you didn't intend for it to turn sexual, but it sort of went that way and you never intended it to do that. And then suddenly, because you're not married, you break up and suddenly you have to rip apart. And it is a brutal breakup because you bonded together and you're ripped apart. For some of you, it's, it's, uh, it's you're in a relationship and someone cheated on you sexually. Like, like you were bonded together and that they cheated on you like they ripped apart and, and they ruined it for you. And you weren't married yet and you thought, well, I guess that happens. Glad I didn't end up with him. But then you get married to somebody else and you can't figure out why you have trust issues for years and years and years and years. It's because you've been ripped apart. There's some of you, man, there's nothing more devastating than um, being in that relationship and you promised and they promise to love and honor and cherish and be faithful and be true. And then one of them commits adultery and rips apart. Or maybe it was you that committed adultery and, and you rip apart that bond. 
And there's all kinds of fallout, man. There's relational fallout. There's, there's emotional fallout. There's financial fallout. The kids, there's all of that stuff. And it's because you've been ripped apart. For some of you, um, it's not just about casual sex. I, I see this happening more and more in our society. Um, so many of us have been now, because it's so easy, have been bonding ourselves with sexual images that we have on the internet. And we've we bonded to those images. And, you know, how do I know? I'll tell you what. Do you know how I know these neural pathways are true and real? Is because I, right now, standing here, can tell you that I remember, I mean, I can pull up the image in my mind of the first time that I saw pornography. I was in junior high school. I was walking to school in junior high school. By the way, back in the 80s, it was hard to get porn, just so you know that. It was, it was very hard to get it. You couldn't get it. My dad didn't have a stack underneath his bed, and so I had never seen anything like that. And on the way to school, I'm walking there. There are these torn-out images from a Playboy magazine, and some of my friends and stuff had found them, and they were handing them around and, and handed me one. And if I really want to right now and close my eyes and focus on it, I can pull up the picture of that woman right now. It made that deep of an impression on me. I was stuck to that image. And I've been stuck to it. Every time you look at pornography, you're creating these neural pathways and they're being stuck to you. We know from the statistics that there are 64% of men that are in church on any given Sunday have watched, are watching porn regularly at least every month. The largest growing section is women Women are 15% of women in church are watching porn at least once a month. And the stats go up if you're younger. I don't know what to tell you. It's the, the stats go up if you're ages 18 to 30. Then the stat goes up to 79% of men are looking at porn uh, monthly. These are brutal statistics. The USA Today, the USA Today says the average age kids are exposed to porn inadvertently, just inadvertently, it was an accident, they clicked a link or just went somewhere it shouldn't have gone, whatever, is age six. Six. One out of every three 13-year-old boys is addicted to pornography, watching about, on average, 50 clips a week. And 36% of the internet is pornography. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's terrible, Steve, and, and we got to do something about it, and man, I'm so glad that's not me. And then you think, man, I'm just going to watch another episode of Game of Thrones, or, or, or Bridgerton, or some, some, what is that new Netflix series, what's it called, Sex Life? Is that, I wonder what that's about. I got an idea, I know what it's about. And the truth of the matter is, is that we we get that dopamine hit for our brain. We get that chemical rush from our brain. And suddenly real sex with your real spouse doesn't do it for you anymore. And you want to know what's happening in that moment? Satan has you. And he's pulling you apart. Parents, the battle for your kids is real. Spouses, the battle for your spouse is real. And there is real damage going on out there. And here's the hard truth and kind of the big picture for today is this. Trying to control this sexual behavior by guilt and shame just pushes the battle underground. 
It just pushes this battle underground. That's what happened to Adam and Eve, right? They covered up. They hid. They said, well, maybe God won't notice we're naked. They said, maybe no one will notice that we're naked. They, they, hid, they hid about it. It's, it's the guy who says, man, you're staying up late on the computer. Yeah, I know. I'm just playing computer games. How, I, I, how, I learned how to, you know, now to cleanse my web history and you come up and you look at it and you go wow well, just no you haven't been browsing for four days well no i'm just i'm just hiding it it's a 15 year old boy who's retreated into his closet with the cell phone because he knows nobody will see what he's doing in there it's the it's the the kids that have cracked the wi-fi password or the filtering software and they've figured a way around it and get this Here's the, here's the real truth. I want you to understand this. Guilt and shame, if we respond with guilt and shame, if that's how we frame this around those people who are struggling, you will do nothing more than push that behavior underground. They will begin to practice it, but under cover of night. That's what they'll do. Um, shame doesn't work. Guilt and shame doesn't work. I, if somebody wants to uh, send me an email or a text about this, I would love to, but I can't find a single place in the Bible where Jesus says, go to your room and think about what you've done. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't operate with guilt and shame. He really doesn't. He, he, he never does. He says, go and sin no more. He says, go and sin no more, and you need to go and sin no more. If you're, if you're struggling with this stuff, go and sin no more. There are consequences to sin. There are consequences to sexual sin. Stuff that no matter how much of God's grace is offered upon you, there are still going to be some things that you have to deal with tangibly in the real world because you have been sinning. But Jesus never operates with guilt and shame. He always operates with grace and mercy. Whenever Jesus comes across somebody who is sexually sinning, right, the woman who's being stoned to death, he looks at the crowd and he says, hey, I'll tell you what, whoever's got no sin, why don't you throw the first stone? He, he, he meets the woman at the well and she admits that she's had five husbands and the guy he's living with, she's living with now isn't her husband. And what does Jesus say to her? Does he offer guilt and shame or does he say, no, I've got this living water and if you want it, I'll give you this living water. That's the Jesus that I know and that I see in scripture. That's how he operated. And so I want you to get this big picture. It's the title of the message and I'll give Glenn credit because he titled the message, but sex is sacred, it really is. It's sacred. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. Because this maybe is a shift in your thinking or, or maybe for you this is just a different way. God's will is for you to be what? holy so stay away from all sexual sin you see how we messed that up in the past you want to know what we emphasize we emphasize stay away from the sexual sin stay away from the sexual sin don't you go near that sexual sin and what we forget to emphasize is the reason we want you to stay away from that sexual sin is so that you can be holy you can be holy then each of you will control his own body and live in what holiness and what else and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. Don't do that. Stay holy. For the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. For God has called us to what? Live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Listen, this is about holiness. This is about honoring God. This is, you know, the funny thing is, is this is about never sinning against another person who is an image bearer of God. 
We, we never sin against those people because we want to be holy. This sex thing isn't about be a good little boy, be a good little boy or girl. Don't do that. You do that, you'll go blind. Don't, it, it, it's not about that. It's about holiness. That's what this is about. Sometimes we've reduced it to this idea of don't, 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 right? I mean, in the mid-90s, when I was, I mean, I was a youth pastor in the mid-90s, and I raised my kids, and we did things like we gave them purity rings, and we told them true love waits, and these kids heard that message. But a lot of times, this is what those kids were internalizing when they heard that message. They were thinking this, Jesus wants me to do this because it will make my life better. Because so bad things will not happen to me, and so I won't be a disobedient Christian. Now, there is an element of truth to all those things. Your life will be better. Your sexual life will be better. You will have less baggage and and all the rest of that that goes along with that. But honestly, it's not about you. I choose sexual purity because I choose to honor Christ. Because I choose to live a holy life to Jesus. That's why I'm choosing purity. Because that's what God has for me. It's not for my sake. It's for his sake. That's why. It's, not, it's because he deserves adoration and sexual purity is a way to honor and adore God. The focus comes off of me and it goes on to him. I choose sexual purity for the glory of Christ. And that is just pure worship. Sexual purity is an act of worship. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12. It says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters... I plead with you to give what? Your bodies. To give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a what? Living and what else? Holy sacrifice. The kind he will find accessible. acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's an act of worship. Which leads me to... So what, Steve? What do I do with this? How do I make sense of this? I know for some of you this has been an excruciating 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Because you felt every scar. I'm not trying to make light of it. You know the sexual scars that you're holding on to. And I want to tell you something from me to you. Your scars don't define you. Your scars do not define you. They don't define you sexually. They don't define your soul. They don't define... If you have somehow been walking around this with this idea that you are holding on to guilt and shame and that you're worthless and that you're used. Jesus is shouting something different to you today. You are valuable. You are loved. You're my child. You know, scars are actually proof of healing. Do you know that? An open wound, a festering wound, a wound that was hurting and destroying you came together and scarred over and healed. And your body does that by itself because God designed you that way. Jesus heals those sexual wounds. And yes, you got a scar. You got a sign, a a proof that it happened. And you're maybe never going to be without that scar, but scars are proof of healing and God wants to heal you. If you've been living in a state of perpetual 
guilt and shame. God wants to heal you. I'm begging you to accept God's mercy and grace. Step out of guilt and shame and step into your purpose. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Step out of guilt and shame and into your purpose. Listen, Satan isn't attacking you sexually because you're weak. He's attacking you because he knows what God has for you. He knows what God wants for you and the purposes that God has for you to live in. He has a purpose for your life and he has a purpose for your sexuality. And I want you to see what God can give you and, and you can step into. First Corinthians chapter 7 gives this passage about that marriage relationship and, and, and sex within that marriage relationship. It says this. Oh, started a little too early. My bad. There it is. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. You see how reciprocal that is. Back and forth, back and forth. And then it says, do not what? Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should, what should you do? Come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Let me tell you something. If you're single and you're sitting here today, I want you to hear something from me. Sex is sacred. It's, it's reserved for this marriage relationship, but singleness is a gift too. If you are single and have been single for any length of time, even if you're just single right in this season of time, singleness is a gift. It's absolutely a gift. It's a way that you can step into your purpose that married people can't. I've heard that again and again in my life, and I really believe it's true. You're going to have some of the same sexual desires and maybe even the same sexual temptations, but honestly, if God has singleness for you, the opportunities for ministry that you will get are will out... will. Far, they'll be different and more significant in a lot of ways than the married people because we got to take care of our spouse. we got to handle business at home. And God wants you to do that. He, he, he has that for you. He will sustain you through that. But for many of you who are in those married relationships, my so what for you today is this. Drop the fig leaf. I told you it was going to be awkward. Drop the fig leaf. Uh, what do I mean by that? What does it mean to drop the fig leaf? Some of you today, as you're sitting here today, you are in a marriage that is distant and tense. You are, maybe you've been, maybe somebody in the marriage has been withholding sex. They've been using sex as a weapon or as a carrot. And uh, you haven't been sticky in a while, if you know what I mean. You haven't been sticky in a while. And so I'm going to say to you, you, and you can feel it in your relationship. And some of you are thinking, you know what? We'll be sticky. We'll have sex as soon as, as, soon as he's more romantic. We'll, 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 we'll have more sex as soon as he says he knows what he did. He needs to ask forgiveness say he's sorry. She, you, we'll have sex when she gets her stuff together. She knows what I'm talking about. Is it possible? Is it possible you have that backwards? Is it possible? First Corinthians says, fulfill each other's needs. Maybe the best thing you can do today as a so what is to literally drop the fig leaf. I want you to have a Genesis 2 afternoon. <laughs> Genesis 2 afternoon. You know what I'm talking about? You have a nap and you have some sex. Not necessarily in that order, if you know what I mean. Like, because it's better. Never mind. Uh, but maybe some of you need to go home and you need to skyrockets in flight. 
Afternoon delight, boo. That is holy. If you don't like it, take it up with Song of Songs. That's all I'm telling you. For some of you, that's the best of what you can get. For others of you, though, you have this. You have a sexual sin that's plaguing you. And when I say drop the fig leaf, it's because you've been hiding behind something. You've been hiding this sin. And today, I want to encourage you with all that I have to confess that sin. In the Bible, we see that you confess that sin to God for forgiveness. And then we see you confess it to someone else for healing. God for forgiveness and to someone else for healing. And I know how terrifying it is to bring that out into light. But can I tell you something? Sin grows in the dark. Mold and fungus and sin, they grow in the dark. And when you bring them into the light, they can't grow anymore. God will bring healing to your life. Um, I want to talk to the ladies for just a second because I just know the statistics on this and I want you to hear something from me. Ladies, if your spouse or your son comes to you and says, that he has a problem and is admitting his use of pornography, your first reaction, ladies, will probably be anger, disgust, rage. You're going to have feelings of insecurity and and, and you're going to feel injured. And I want you to hear something from me, ladies. That is all justified. It's all justified. I understand that. It is justified. But I pray you can deal with those feelings and you can look across at this man or even boy and you won't see a jerk or a pervert but what you will see is a man who has been wounded and a man who is trusting you in this moment and asking you for help. And in that moment, you have an opportunity You can choose guilt and shame and push the behavior underground or you can do what God does for us every time he shows us mercy and grace. And we begin to walk through that towards healing and let God do the healing. Would you just pray with me today? God, I feel how heavy this topic is. I know exactly why it's so hard to talk about it, but God, it is plaguing our society. God, I pray that just even through some frank talk that husbands and wives will leave here knowing that sex is a gift from you and that it is to be practiced and enjoyed and that it will grow their relationship together. But God, I know there are so many here who are walking in and walking out with scars. God, I pray that you would meet those people in the middle of their pain, in their heartache, in their hurt, God, you would remind them your incredible grace and mercy. They are not damaged goods. They are beloved children of the King. God, I pray that you would remind them that you have purpose for their life and you want healing for them, physically, emotionally. And God, for those who know right now as they're hearing my voice that they need to confess something to someone, maybe not their spouse, maybe not their but maybe a friend, a trusted friend to begin with. God, I pray that you would begin the process of healing because we drop our fig leaf and we just become raw and real in front of you and you will bring healing to those who so deeply need it.